Good morning. I want to share a story, a first fruit story that is the funniest first fruit story that proves how real first fruits are. I'm not preaching on first fruits today, but I, you need to hear this story. And I just, I asked Tamara, I said, is this you? This is, this is you. She's right here. Tamara stopped by the modulars today. Our staff works out of modulars right down here uh, to bring her literal first fruit tomatoes from her garden. She shared this testimony with me today. Last year, my tomato plants, in England, it's tomato. I got so tired of hearing that last week. Does anyone, anybody say tomato in here? Everything's tomato over there. Somebody's pointing at their spouse. Um, brings her tomatoes from her garden. She shared this testimony with me today. Last year, my tomato plant struggled, but I brought my first fruit tomato and gave it to Teresa. As a result, this year, I literally have tomato trees over six feet tall full of delicious tomatoes. Her mother's tomato plants are planted in the same garden, but they are small, weak, and not producing good tomatoes. Alan and Tamara believe in tithing their literal first fruits from their garden and have an abundant harvest this year. We could compile all the stories from this house of what God's doing in the lives of people based upon principles that were established pre-law, by the way. I highly encourage you to see if it's a gimmick that I came up with to raise money or if it's a biblical principle ideology that will shift your life and change your destiny. He wants the first of your everything. I get to the point now where I cannot wait to give him my first fruits because all I see is the fruit, no pun intended, of harvest and testimonies and testimonies and testimonies. Is it okay if I preach as though I'm at a conference that you spend a bunch of money to fly to Canada to go to, something like that? I, um, I've been in England for nine days. My wife and I have been there, and I'm so full of God, I'm about to just slap somebody in the face or something. I don't know. You know, I hate the devil. If you don't hate him, something's wrong. People misinterpret anger. We say, oh, you should never be angry. That's not true. It's not true at all. The Lord wasn't singing Kumbaya when he flipped tables in the temple. He should be pretty angry at the enemy from time to time. You know that he wants to kill you. He seeks to kill you, to steal from you, and to rob you. There's principles that the Father gives us that not only defeat him, but humiliate him. Would you not love to step into a season of your life where your intimacy with the Father and your faith and what happened at Calvary and you applying principles that God gave you humiliated the enemy? Maybe I'm just speaking to me. I'd love to get to a place in my life where he needs therapy every day I wake up because he's exhausted. You know, you can live such a life down here that you exhaust him. I'm serious. I, I'm going to preach like this church just brought me in here and, and I get to leave next week. When I, when I travel, the glory hits so hard. And I think it's because I'm just more free. Because it's like, if they don't like me, I'm, a, I'm not going to be here. So I'm just, uh, I've always wanted to come to Wichita, Kansas. So hello, Kansas. And here I am. And I'm just going to let it rip. Because... If you're looking for a local church that just helps you cozy up to your own insecurities, you'll never grow. 
I have never seen anyone grow in any field of endeavor without going through something uncomfortable. And see, we like to associate many times in spirit-filled communities, anything uncomfortable must be the enemy. <laughs> if you're, before you can drink wine, the grapes have to get crushed. Being uncomfortable is a gift. I don't grow unless I'm uncomfortable. And so I always want to be surrounding myself with some sort of uh, community teaching. If so, whoever's leading you, if they're not leading you into discomfort, well, then they're probably not growing themselves at well, as well. You cannot grow unless you grow through discomfort. This morning, um, at Mike Jones' house, in all of these exercises we do, every single one of them makes me uncomfortable. It's really not normal to pick up a rock and walk around with it. Who does that? Crazy people, but then if you want to grow, if you want your heart to be healthier inside your body, you have to push your heart rate way up. Why in the world would it be any different with the Father? The Father sent Jesus into a desert where he didn't eat anything, and he got tempted by the devil for 40 days. And in his biggest season of discomfort, he grew the most. Man. I, I want... I want I never want the father to give me a pacifier when as a grown adult, I, he, I should be in seasons where he's, he's grooming me and pushing me and grooming me and pushing me. I want to go to this passage, Luke ten thirty eight. The father gave it to me in worship. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. And I, the Holy Spirit said, go there. And I immediately thought, I must have heard wrong because I'm like, what does that have to do with anything? And I, I just put it in my pocket. And he said, pick it back up. So I pulled my Bible back on my phone. Do you notice the principle here? You have to open up your home so the king of glory can come in first. A lot of people don't experience a move of God that they really want because their home is not open to him. And typically home in the kingdom metaphor has to do with your heart, not a building you live in. You know that passage in, in my house, there's many mansions. In my father's house, there's many mansions. He's not talking about going and building literal mansions. Is your heart totally open to Jesus? Because in Mark, he was about to pass the other disciples by, but one cried out, Simon Peter, and it got his attention. How open is your home to the Father? I told my wife, I said, the, the Father's showing me that um, he's giving us an invitation and a challenge about some things in our life, just completely open them up to who he's calling us to lead. And if we do this, then he will do this. There, there are principles in the kingdom that God will not move until you move. Man, this is weird. Just, just, people don't like this. They don't like it. Janice, you can handle it, but a lot of people don't like this. People get frustrated with God because he's not moving, and he doesn't know why his kids are frustrated because they're opposing the principles that allow him to move. If you don't open up your home, you don't open up your heart, and he's not going to move. I, when I pray for people for healing or the prophetic, and they're like this, I'll, I'll just stop. Every single time. I have never seen anyone receive from the Father when they're like this. There's a woman from Australia. I can't remember her name. It's about 10 years ago, the old church building. And um, she had heard me on some podcast. I wasn't even the lead pastor. And she'd heard me teach something. She was visiting some friends. She came to the church. We were in that back room, what we call classroom C. It was one of the prayer, the prayer times we had. I, I, di I didn't even get one word out. I went to pray for her. The glory hit her and she fell down. She came expecting, heart wide open. She, she was like this. We can either live like this or we can live like this. Even counselors and psychologists will tell you that this is not a posture that's very good. 
You don't see many people that are very happy or open to anything like this. That's why I tell people all the time, open up your hands like a little kid. I love it when my kids are really little. They just, they just come to give you a big old hug. Don't you miss those days, some of you that kids are grown? It's like the older we get, we get hurt and bitterness creeps in and we have to fight disappointment and it's like our hearts become like this. What if you could live just like this? People who live like this experience more God than people who live like this. That's good preaching. All right, watch this. I want to show you a reflection of Luke 10:38 in Psalm 24:9. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who's the lifting the gates open on? Me. I lift my gates open. That wasn't even part of my sermon. I just want to, I want to share that. that some of you are frustrated. You're not experiencing more of God in your life. It's because your gates are closed. It's because your home's closed. Well, if I had more time, well, if I didn't have this happen to me, well, you don't understand what it's like to try to be overcoming what, what I'm trying to overcome. There's a vulnerability in the kingdom that when every day you wake up and you say, yes, I have my plans. I want to be responsible. You can interrupt me at any moment. I just, Jesus, come into my marriage. Come into my life. Come into my family, come into my future, come into my plans. Lord Jesus, how I need thee. Every hour I need thee. See, this is a posture of vulnerability and dependability upon someone. This is a posture of I'm tough. I'm John Wayne. I don't need nobody. You ain't John Wayne. You ain't John Wayne. John Wayne wasn't even John Wayne. Somebody trying to act that tough ain't tough. It's those Navy SEALs that don't look tough that you got to be scared of. It's those choir-looking boys that are Navy SEALs that you're like, I need to back up. It's the guys that act tough. It's those sheep that come into the church acting like a dragon and tough. You ain't tough. You're a sheep. You're a sheep. And power will hit the weakest sheep. So you might as well open up your gates and admit how weak you are. I am um, Bryce Covington, someone I, I sat down with in January. I said, I want a solid financial plan the rest of my life to be responsible for retirement. I'm, I'm not against making plans. I want to make plans. Plans aren't evil. But the word says, for I know the plans I have for you. We have to make plans and then say, Father, this is my plans, but I'm wide open to, if you got something better for me, whatever you want, whatever you want. It's the people in the kingdom that live like this that grace just doesn't stop flowing. Um, we'll show the clip in a couple of weeks. We had a, a British pastor here that I prophesied over with the elders behind him that this summer, it was on this stage about three months ago. I said this summer, I gave him a bunch of words and I said, here's proof that what I'm saying is true. And I said, if I'm wrong, you can stone me like one of those old prophets. It will be the sunniest, hottest summer in England in 20 years. We've got it recorded. I said it. So we went over there. It was, it's so hot over there right now. I can't describe it to you. Nobody likes to be in hot. I'm over there thinking I can't wait for a cool breeze. I forgot what I prophesied. We're not built. We, nobody likes like humidity and mosquitoes and hot. We like that cool breeze. You open up like this and there's a current from heaven that hits you like a cool breeze. You go like this, you're in Afghanistan in the spirit, okay? And some people that are weird, they like that 102 degrees with no wind. That ain't normal. Every time I go to Haiti, everybody makes fun of me. I take about 12 D batteries and I take a, a fan. And my fan's bigger than my suitcase. You want to know why? Because some of you are fanning right now. It's like one of those old-timey services because we like the breeze. If you want the down current, a breeze, that gentle Bahama breeze, 
It's 72 degrees coming off the ocean. That breeze that just never stops. That breeze that you just worship, that you just think about, you live like this. Kites can't blow when the wind's not blowing. A lot of people, the wind doesn't blow because you're not open to him. You're not open up you gates so that the king of glory may come in. He went to Martha's house because she opened it to him. I mean, think about this. Why is the blood on the doorpost in Exodus? Because when that death angel come, it was looking, it was looking for the blood. Just because, just because now in the new covenant, I've made a decision for Jesus doesn't mean I'm living open to whatever he wants. Complete surrender to the Lord is every day of saying, I have my plans, I want to be responsible, but I'm just open to you. Many of his kids are not open to him. All right, that wasn't even, that's just, that's for free. My name is Chad, and I'm the lead pastor here at Bridgeway Church. Uh, Joey Ruby was at my house the other night, and he looked over there and he said, what is the significance of that rhinoceros on your um, picture frame and i said well when birds fly together it's a flock of birds um what what are doves or uh what are they called um does anybody know what's what's quail flock what is uh covey uh dog is pack wolf is packs uh what what else uh fish school of fish it's kind of weird i don't know who somebody along the way made all this stuff up hey just call fish uh, school school of fish go with it <laughs> you know when rhinos run together, do you know what they're called? They're called a crash. Think about that. Why are rhinos called a crash? Well, a rhinoceros cannot see uh, past the first down yard marker in football, about 10 yards. And when a bunch of rhinos get together and they get a little bit anxious or chasing something, when they run together, they can't see past about 10, 15 yards. And when they hit something, it's a, it's a crash. It's not a fender bender, it's a crash. And if you can ever find a YouTube clip of why rhinos are called a crash, it's, it's a mess. A rhinoceros does not allow the fact that it can't see far, it doesn't allow him or her not to go as hard as he or she can with what they can see. And so about 15 years ago, I just decided I'm going to be a rhinoceros. I'm going to be a rhino. I may not know where I'm going to be in three years. Some of you got 10-year plans. That's great. That's awesome. I love that. The other side of the coin is don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow has enough worries of its own. I'm not against making plans. I'm just saying I may not be able to see what's down the road in three years. But what I can see, I'm going to go at so hard that if I hit it, it won't be a fender bender. Either me or it is going to end up at MD360 at some point. I want to go hard every single day. This is what God showed me 15 years ago. There was an invitation at the cross to go as hard as I want to go after him. There's this idea in Psalms that says, my soul pants after thee like a deer pants after water. When's the last time you've been so hungry for God that you felt agitated? I was in one of the nicest homes I've ever been in in the last couple of years when I was in the home when I saw it. I said, God, don't ever allow me to even receive a blessing from you that takes an ounce of my hunger away because I'm not against blessing, but I never want anything in the natural to take away my hunger for him because my wife, my three kids, these elders, angels, nobody. I don't have anybody else that wakes up every morning stirring up my hunger for God. 
That's not my wife's job, my kid's job. It's not your job. There is responsibility that we have to take individually that every morning when I wake up, I wake up with my hair on fire. You can have as much of God as you want when you want him. And a lot of people make the mistake that when God moves, I'll get more. That's not true. Many times it's when you move, you experience more of him. The curse of the West is apathy. When we have so many means to meet our needs, you're less inclined to call upon the one that people in other parts of the world that have nothing lean on. If I can supply all my needs, why do I need anyone to supply my own needs? You know it's actually possible to become a billionaire and yet remain so contrite that you're in need every hour. The most dangerous place you can ever get is to get to a place where you feel like you don't need him. And America was built upon self-made men and women. That's great. The other side of the coins, that's terrible. Because you are not wired by God to meet your own needs. I never want to get to a place where I'm just going through the motions ever. I can't stand the thought of it. I mean, even, even in England on a plane, I'm just on the, way, on the way back. It's just, I'm just realizing I'm as hungry right now as I was when I had my encounter with him 15 years ago. Where's your level of hunger? Where's your level of hunger? Because a lot of people in the West, they think that waiting upon God is being really passive and just behaving yourself with good manners. Go to Isaiah 40, 31. Isaiah 40, 31. In another, in the, there's another translation that's better. Those who wait upon the Lord, the word wait, those who wait upon the Lord, the word wait does not mean what you think it means in English. Wait actually means go. Simon Peter is the only disciple that waited upon the Lord when the Lord was on the water. You will have more of God when you learn to wait on him. When a waiter comes to your table, the waiter doesn't wait on you in the kitchen. The waiter waits on you. What can I get you? What do you need from me? I'm your waiter. I'm called to wait on you. The enemy, what he does is he contradicts everything the father says. There's nothing original about the enemy. The enemy has convinced the church in the West that waiting upon the Lord is just being patient. In the Hebrew, it has nothing to do with that. Those who wait upon the Lord, those that get out of the boat and go after him. Think about waiting upon the Lord as a root word of waiter for American restaurant. Think how active a waiter is. You actually become stronger as you give your life away. The more I'm open up, the more I'm sacrificial, the more I'm surrendered, the more I give, the more I pour myself out. I actually have more energy than people who quote unquote, wait upon the Lord, brother. So I'm just gonna journal for another 10 years. I just, my goal this week is to not say a cuss word. And I just hope I don't have a thought that contradicts the kingdom. So many of the metrics we have, the father is like, that's, that's never the metric I gave you. So many people are going to get to heaven and it's like, Lord, I, I stay clean my whole life. And he goes, yeah, but you never did anything for me. You see, rhinos don't sit there and evaluate a whole lot. I'm not against plans. But everybody in this room has a plan until you're hitting the mouth. I'm not against plans. But if you spend more time planning than waiting, and waiting in Hebrew means go, you're just going to plan your life away and never do anything. When's the last time you took a chance on something? When's the last time you risked something? When's the last time instead of bringing your buddy to have the great man of God pray for him, you just decided to do it? Basically, what I'm asking you is how bad do you want him? Because a lot of us are just trying to just be good boys and girls. 
The kingdom of God is advanced by force and violent, and violent men lay a hold of it. We make fun of how impulsive Simon Peter was. Explain to me then why Jesus flipped the keys to him. Jesus chose a man that was so impulsive and chose to groom him. I would much rather see a charismatic harmonist than try to raise someone from the dead theologically that doesn't want to do anything. Give me, any, give me someone just full of life that God can harness them. It's very difficult for God to get someone to move that just doesn't like to move. I'm thinking about it. You don't think Paul was impulsive? Read his story. He was, a, he was a zealot. Saul was a zealot and God groomed him. That's why I love Bridgeway. This place is so hungry. I'm just saying, let this, please, I'm begging as the pastor of this church, let this be the least amount of hunger we ever have. Yeah. Hebrews eleven six, Hebrews eleven six, And without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Earnestly in the Greek there is a flat out going for it, dare I even say striving word. You say, oh, there's no striving in the kingdom. You quit listening to whoever's teaching you that. Paul says he strives four times. Matter of fact, go to Philippians uh, 3.2. Look at this. Philippians 3.2 says, not that I have already obtained all this. Stop listening to any theology that says you've, you've obtained everything that you're supposed to obtain. That's not true. It is a demonic lie from hell. Fight the good fight. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. There's, there's a word in the King James. Can you go to the King James in that if you don't mind? And it's, it, the word is apprehend. And the word apprehend is basically like a boxing match to grab and, and to make mine. Until your faith becomes your own, you're not going to be able to weather any storm the enemy throws at you. You don't know who you are until all of hell is thrown at you and you apprehend to grab your own intimacy with God. Quit leaning upon someone else to build your own intimacy with God. I don't see myself as a pastor. I don't see myself, well, I gotta have a game plan to lead a religious organization. No, I wake up every morning saying, I just want more of you. I just want all of you. I just want you to pour your fire upon me and I want you. There's this idea of apprehend that doesn't look um, tamed. We've become too tamed. We've become to the point, we just got, we got to look like we have it all together. There's a role in this kingdom where you're just, you're, you don't have it together. And I'm going to tell you something interesting about heaven. People think that Jesus is a very tamed, like quiet teacher. He's loud. He is a lion. He, he's, he's not, he's not as put together. The church has become too tame. We've become too safe. We, we've created a version of God that God is like, what are we doing? Jesus has gotten lost in a religion that bears his own name. There's risk in the kingdom. And sometimes he gives you 1% clarity and you're like, what do I do with that? And you just have to step out. And, and you become a rhino and maybe you do hit something. It's like, well, did I miss it or did I not miss it? I'd rather miss it and be going for it than making plans for the next 30 years. I'm serious. There's a part of this. If, if you become too introspective on where you are and how well you're doing, and how, it, it becomes like a, a curse. Bill Johnson, the leader of Bethel Church in Reading, his life changed and his church, the trajectory of the church changed when he stopped journaling. Because what happens is if I am so scared to make a mistake, I become a paralyzed rhino. God, God's kids are not supposed to be paralyzed rhinos. 
There, there is a wildness inside the most introverted introvert in God's kingdom. You want to know why? Because you have the DNA of God and, and God is responsible, but he's not as tamed as you think. People get to heaven, they'll be in shock when you go to heaven. Hello, Chad, come on in. Please don't spill your tea on the white carpet. I don't want to spill my tea on the carpet. I don't want to do this. I don't want to make that. What if I do this? What if I make a mistake? What am I? Oh, man. Simon Peter messed up so bad, and the grace of Jesus found him on the side of that shore. Some, some of you beat yourselves up because you made some mistakes and you stepped into sin, but you don't realize the person beside you that's been walking the straight and narrow They've become so paralyzed that God can actually use you more than someone who's trying not to make mistakes. His grace is big enough for you. Okay, so you dropped the ball and you messed up. Receive that grace. Receive your forgiveness and do something with your life. It, it, we get to heaven, it's not like, hey, hey, great job. Uh, you didn't do anything, but great job because you avoided 10 things. Christianity, for the most part in the West, has become about 10 sins that I try to avoid. And I'm just saying from, from the perspective of playing offense on waiting upon the Lord, the Father asks all the time, stop just looking at one side of the coin about what you're not doing. What are you doing? What are you doing? Even in your own sphere of influence, wherever you work, that's an opportunity to take his kingdom and to extend it there. But no one's going to do it for you. I don't know, at 45 years old, I've just, I'm, I've just made the decision I'm never going to blame anyone else for what I don't have in Abba. This man, this artist in Nottingham, England, walked up to Wendy and I. He handed us a painting. It's called Open Door. He knows Esther and Jonathan. I don't even know how he met Esther and Jonathan. Facebook, he said, I think. Is that right, Jonathan? And uh, I'm halfway across the world. And he, holds me, he hands me a painting, and the painting is called Open Door. And he said, God has chosen the church that you and Wendy are at to bring revival, not just for the church, but for America. You know why anything, including the church, needs to be revived? Because it's asleep or either dead. You put re in front of it. Anybody ever uh, spend any time in South America? I love being around South American Christians. They make American Christians so nervous. I just, um, I, never want, I never want this church not only to lose our first love, but I also don't want this church to ever lose our passion. And so you know how you maintain passion? God, show me this. This is not deep at all. You stay in love. Paige was leading us in worship this morning, team behind her. I had an encounter with the Lord. I was just right here. It wasn't deep. It just, I felt his embrace. Because nothing can motivate you like receiving the love of God. It will create a fire inside of you that no matter what personality the Father has given you, you can't keep it in. You know, when, you know what worship is? It's just an expression of whatever's at the center of my heart. When I am intimately connected to anything, I have a hard time being quiet about it. Right? Have you, have you ever got to the place in the prophetic where um, 
you're walking the prophetic and you realize you're talking to someone that either doesn't know the Lord or is not walking with the Lord and to you the prophetic has become so common that you live from an ascended place on the mountain and you realize the person I'm talking to, they have no idea what in the world I'm doing right now. I want to be so connected with God that I don't, well, I need to play it safe because this person may not know the Lord. Well, maybe they'll get to know the Lord because I'm speaking from the mountain. What, I, what I'm trying to say is this, you can just become so, so full of God that he just spills out wherever you are and you're not, you're not having to just play it so safe all the time to make sure you just fit in wherever you are. I don't know if I'm making sense this morning. I'm just saying when something's on fire, it, it just catches whatever is not on fire on fire. The fire doesn't say, well, I better not go there. No, the fire knows, well, if I touch it, it's going to burn. Somebody, I read an article the other day that was something like, um, you, you got to have certain type of programs to attract young people. No, you know what you need? You need a place that's on fire in the spirit. You won't be able to keep them away. I'm not concerned about the next generation at Bridgeway like so many other leaders are concerned. Because, because this thing has been rolling on for 2,000 years. And you know how you keep it rolling on? You stay in love and you stay on fire. Love, fire, love, fire, love, fire, love, fire, love, fire. I mean, this morning, that yesterday, watching Sam playing a golf tournament, you can get to a place where you are, um, you're possessed by God. How come we only talk about being possessed by the enemy? Yeah, you gotta be careful. Are you demonized? Are you being afflicted by the enemy? Or are you possessed by the enemy? Woo! What if you had a church of 1,500 people that was so possessed with God, people are like, ooh. You want to be possessed, seriously? I'm, I'm serious. That's what this being smeared with the person of the Holy Spirit, that's what intimacy is. And what happens is it just comes on you. It's, it's possible. Like, I, I, I feel like um, the only way to describe how I feel right now is, and I want to tell some stories about England, I just... I feel like it's a garment on me, a garment of fire and hunger. God. All right, you want to hear some fun stories about England? Um, so we got a lot of words last week before we went, uh, Wendy and I, about specifically, Marion, you said, uh, when I come back, I wouldn't be the same person. And you said some other things about the prophetic. Wendy and I flowed for 10 hours to two different teams in words of knowledge for 10 hours. 10 hours. So you have Vineyard uh, England, Vineyard Ireland, and that was the leadership of, of those two places. I don't know, 20 people in the room? A few more, a few less. Here's what I'm trying to say. Here's why I love the prophetic, 1 Corinthians 14, 1. You can't, prepare, you can't, I didn't take sermon notes in there. Wendy's not taking sermon notes in there. This is how crazy it is. Where's Carolyn Weaver? Is she in here? She might be in the intercession chapel. She might've gotten transported. There she is. All right. Um, Carolyn sends Lee Vartanian a word about me in Ireland. What Carolyn didn't know is when she sent the word, Wendy and I had just gotten done ministering to the leaders of the um, Ireland Vineyard Movement. The whole point is this. We can prepare for a lot of things in the kingdom. One of the reasons I love the prophetic is you can't, 1 Corinthians 14, 1, eagerly desire love and all the gifts, especially prophecy. You can get to a place in God that whatever you're currently carrying just spills out. Can you imagine what a thousand people at Bridgeway could do to a community if you get to such a place of intimacy with God that wherever you are, it just becomes prophetic? Do you guys know what I mean when I say prophetic? It's the ability to hear from the Father and give someone else some encouragement, a word 
give, give them some fresh meat from heaven. And it's not something you learn in somebody else's book. book. It's the Father showing you something for somebody. The level of accuracy that Wendy and I float in with words of knowledge, all it's done is make me hungry. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. This, what I'm talking about is you can get on fire by plugging so much into God that once you taste the real thing, you have a distaste for anything that's not that. Once you get to a higher level on the mountain, you don't want to go back down the mountain. Once I go to the Bahamas, I don't want a vacation in Gaffney, South Carolina. I got nothing against that peach. But it is the most awkward American landmark in all 50 states. There's a couple things going on with that peach. I don't know what it is. It's been that way for my entire life. Some people with God, we just become comfortable. We just go to the Motel 6, stare at the peach, call it vacation. I don't want to look at that peach anymore. I try not to look at the peach now. You know what I love about what I'm saying? You don't need anybody else, including your spouse, to do anything for you, for you to get this. You can wait upon God when you want to wait upon God. You know what's a, a marker in the natural for a metric to know when you're in a great place with God? When the secret place woos you stronger than anything public. I was at Jack's football practice the other night. Not Jack Hancock, that'd be strange. It was Jack Norris. <laughs> Jack playing football right now. It was my, my Jack. And... Um, Joe and Sam were there, and I just disappeared for about seven minutes. And Joe said, where'd you go? And coming off of England, I'm so connected to him, I just had to walk away for a little bit with the Father. Is he, is he the lover of your soul? I mean, is he? I'm, I'm being serious. Ask yourself that. How, how much do you want him? In the end, at the judgment seat of Christ, what are you going to hand him? You, you, know, you, know what I, you know what I love to talk to the Lord about one day is a lot of the private conversations we've had down here. There, there's two sides of the coin. It's the community, and you're not supposed to be alone. This is the side of the coin where there's certain fire you only get in the secret place. And Jesus got it on the earth in the secret place. He prayed all night before he picked his disciples. He did not lean on his own divinity or his own anointing to, to know who to pick. That blows my mind. Jesus snuck off all the time. His ethos was sneaking off all the time, all the time. And here's how God creates a church that truly impacts the nations when you get a group of people that bring a fire in communally together. Yeah. See, most churches are the other way. They try to come to a place to get the fire bridgeway. We, we got an opportunity to be a place. You bring the fire, and when we're together, it just keeps growing. Yeah. Yeah. Most churches try to create firehouses of, let me go get it there. I want bridgeway to be a place where we bring it here. Yeah. You know that we are the temple of God, and there's the we, but there's also the me. Today's sermon is about the me. Your hunger is up to you. How bad do you want him? Three seconds over time. That's not bad. Father, we just welcome you into this ministry time. We just love you, honor you. Honor you, we honor you, we honor you. There's some people in this room that you love them with all your heart. You are just not satisfied with where you currently are in level of fire and connection with him. If that's just you, stand up. I'm going to speak a blessing over you. 
nothing to be ashamed of. It ain't that. It's got nothing to do with that. Mike Chloe's, come here. You're going to pray over this entire church for the fire to fall on this church. There's no shame in this. What I love about Bridgeway is <laughs> we just always want more of him. You can stand right there and pray. Just pray that we'd be full of his fire, Mike. Father, we thank you that you never give up on us. That you are always here. You are always faithful. We come to you on bended knee and give you whatever we have. Sometimes it's the faith of a mustard seed, Father. But we pray your blessing on that, that you would blow your fire on that, on that seed, that it would ignite and it would consume us, that it would consume our families, that it would consume our church and, this, and everything around us, Father. There would be no more of us. We would not know where we end and you begin, Father. In the name of Jesus, amen.